Hear ye, hear ye, word nerds. Be forewarned that this podcast contains saucy language of the modern and early modern varieties, so plan your listening accordingly. Or don't. That's a choice that you can make, but don't say we didn't warn you. Uh, Finch, before we go, do you, or do you have questions? Can we make you feel comfortable in any way? Do you have what you need from us? Do you feel supported and loved and buoyed? Um, I think so. Great. Um, cool. Yeah, I don't know. If, if like, I don't know, I'm misbehaving in any way. Like, <laughs> just let me know. It'd be like, Finch, cut Settle the crap out. Settle down. Your goddamn mouth. I don't know. Oh, Lord. Getting out of hand. Welcome to the Hurly Burly Shakespeare Show. We are your hosts, Jess Hamlet and Aubrey Whitlock. And together we are Whamlet. And this week we are talking about Musidorus with our special guest, awesome friend Finch. What up? Yay! Welcome, Finch. Hi, y'all. Hi. I like that you have one name, like Cher or Madonna. Um, Bono. Yeah, it's what I'm going for. It creates confusion in my friend groups because half of them only know me as Finch and the other half know me as Mary. And then when they when they overlap, it's pure chaos. And that's what I live for. That's yes. Great. You are goals in every yeah. in every way. The mystique um, around a one, you one name. Tell us about yourself. Well, yeah. mean, like we know, but like for the listeners, tell us about yourself. Tell sure. them about yourself. Don't, who the heck are you? Sure. <laughs> Hi, I'm Finch. Uh, I have two master's degrees in Shakespeare's, as does everyone on this podcast. Um, so that's <laughs> not special, what we which is a relief. Uh, so I did the whole MFA MLIT program at Mary Baldwin. Um, and since then, I have been working at a cute little Montessori school with many small germ-filled children, teaching them drama, <laughs> working in the office. I've directed at the American Shakespeare Camp for two years. I did uh, Ben Johnson's Volpone and then John Lilly's Galatea. Uh, I directed this play, Musidorus, with the uh, middle school age students at Stanton Montessori last year. Nice. Um, but before that, I had worked with and read it uh, through my coursework at Mary Baldwin. Because it's so good. It's yeah. so good. It's great. I loved it even then. And I read it. So the, I took it during um, Roz's class, which was like a one month class at the very beginning yep. Same, of my so first I. year. Yeah. So were we? Yeah. No, we weren't in that class because you're a year ahead. But so I read it then. And that was like, like baby Finch, very little Shakespeare experience, early modern knowledge. And I read this play and I was like, this is some good shit. And <laughs> so I've always known mm. and I'm glad to talk about it today. Yeah, yeah, you were not wrong about this being some good shit. Yeah, so. Nor are you alone. It was one of the most popular plays mm. of its time. Like, <laughs> so, so popular. Yeah. for I mean, for decades, like even after. Yeah. 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 So it's amazing. But we'll get there. We'll yes, get there. We, we will get there. Okay. Yep. I'm going to hold. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I, I, get a, I, I get ahead. I get yeah. ahead. But it's exciting. Yeah. yeah. It is. It's super exciting. All right. So since this is a 101 of a play by someone who is not Shakespeare, um, we're going to re-meet the it? contemporary. Or is it? Or is it? <laughs> uh, and this week we're going to re-meet Anonymous. Oh, I love that Anonymous. Boy, boy, I'll tell you. Let me tell you about Anonymous. Yeah. Because, uh, right. So Anonymous... Um, was anonymously born to anonymous parents in an anonymous town at, you know, some point. Yeah. Uh, anonymous is the most prolific and well-known playwright of the early modern period uh, and is responsible for writing well over 100 plays. Phew. I mean, just like fucking show off, right? Inspirational. Yeah. Show off. Yeah. yeah. Um, anonymous was a master of genre, adapting easily to any and all of them, frankly. Uh, they were equally at home writing comedy and tragedy and city comedy and tragic comedy and history plays and delivered hit after hit after hit like Arden of Faversham. And Fair M, the Miller's Daughter. 
And a knack to know a knave. And crack me this nut. And a warning for fair women. And look about you. And the wisdom of Dr. Dodiepole. Uh, and the merry devil of Edmonton. And a Yorkshire tragedy. And the Welsh traveler. And Musidorus. Oh, hell yeah. That's quite a list. Mm. Yeah. So that's uh, Anonymous. That was your anonymous life. So uh, before we jump into any play, we like to give you a, a five-word unhelpful title. Mine is The Other Other Bear Play. Mm, mine is more than five words, and I don't know how many words, and I don't even fucking care because it's been a day. Uh, mine is Love and A Bit With A Bear. And mine is Winter's Tale, But Less Sad. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Because the more awesome. I thought about it, the more they overlapped. And yeah, like, sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It. Absolutely. All right. So now a little bit of Dramatis Personae, but only the really important ones. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're going to kick it off with comedy, who is the allegorical representation of comedy. Uh -huh. What? I know. <laughs> and then uh, one of the vices, envy, makes an appearance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Drama already. I know. Uh, our first non-allegorical character is Musidorus, the Prince of Valencia. Mm -hmm. He has a father who is the king of Valencia. Mm. He has a friend named Anselmo. Mouse is a country clown. Aww. Not an actual mouse. He's human, as far as we can tell, based on the text. We love him so much. Uh, elsewhere, there's a king of Aragon. He probably lives in Aragon. Mm -hmm. He has a daughter named Amadine. Sagasto is her betrothed. Uh, then we have Tremelio, who is a courtier. And Bremo, a woodsman. Ta-da. Ta-da, and there they are. So, Finch, why should this play be more popular right now? <laughs> It was popular yeah. in the 16th century, but why why should it be popular now? <laughs> it should be popular because it's just so much fun. Um, it's not some metaphysical play that deals with like serious questions of life at all. Um, <laughs> it's got a really simple plot with archetypal, archetypal characters. So it's just fun. It's full of toilet and drunk humor and <laughs> stupid love at first sight and lots of drama. Um, it's like a, it, it reminds me of a Christmas Netflix rom-com. Like, it's not great. The writing is predictable. The characters are very stereotypical. But, like, it's what you want sometimes. And that doesn't mean it's bad. And that doesn't mean it doesn't deserve respect. Um, and now that I've thought about it as a Netflix Christmas special, I just want to set it in some vague European, you know, country and set it over the holidays and see what happens. Because I yes. think it would actually be brilliant. And no one yeah. listening is allowed to steal that. Good. <laughs> be rioted. Great. Great. Yeah, Netflix. Back off. I don't want to <laughs> see this. Or call me. Alternatively, right. just call me. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'll come do it. Yeah. Right. We got, we got a showrunner right here for you. Uh, so. Yeah. Got to shop that hire, script around. Mm -hmm. Hire yep. our friend. <laughs> Yeah, I feel so seen. You're right. Like, some of those trashy rom-coms really are what you need sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Like, bad sci-fi. Yeah. yeah. You just need some really crappy sci-fi. <sighs> yeah, heard. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I think that I think you've made a good case, so I'm mm -hmm. sure everyone is convinced. But in case they're not, we're now going to summarize Musidorus for you. It's summary time. Yeah, we're going to do it. Uh, and this week, we're calling the summary Disguise. And Betrayal. And a Bear. Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> that was corny, like and I need, loved it. <laughs> we need George Takei over here going, oh, we my. We do. <laughs> bad George Takei impression. Um, okay, so I have got a, a timer. Yep. I am ready. Uh, oh, this is timed. Yeah, okay. it's our five-minute summary. Yeah, we try to hold our, We try to hold ourselves to a five-minute time limit. We do not always, and we <clears throat> by by we I mean I do not always succeed at that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. it's good to yeah. know. You yeah. got it. 
Get the lead out. Here we go. All right. So we start with an induction, which has the allegorical representations of comedy and envy bickering. Envy threatens to interrupt the tale, quote, mixing music with a tragic end. And comedy's all like, do your worst, bitch. And the play begins. Act one in Valencia. Prince Musidorus needs his friend Anselmo to help disguise him as a shepherd so he can leave the court for reasons. Elsewhere, Mouse has been scared by a bear, convinces himself that it wasn't actually a bear, and then is chased off stage by a bear. <laughs> Sagasto and Amadine are being chased by said bear. And as they enter, Sagasto abandons Amadine to her death. She is saved suddenly by Musidorus in his shepherd's costume, who decapitates the bear. <laughs> Amadine is the daughter of the king of Aragon, and she is supposed to marry Sagasto, who ditched her. She promises to reward Musidorus for his bravery, and he's obs totes in love with her. Sagasto and admits his cowardice, but figures it's fine. If Amadine survived, she'll totally forgive him because that's who she is. Fuck boy. <laughs> so Sagasto meets Mouse, a clown from the country, and hires him as his man after a fairly funny exchange about the bear. Act two. The king announces that he's going to marry Amadine to Sagasto and then honors Tremelio by giving him the charge of the Catalonian prince as prisoner of war. Sagasto asks Tremelio to devise some means of producing the shepherds, a.k.a. Musidorus's death. Tremelio agrees, attacks Musidorus on his entrance, and Musidorus handily kills Tremelio. Sagasto vows revenge on Musidorus. Bremo brags about his bravery and mastery of his domain. The king condemns Musidorus to death. Amadine defends him with the bear's head as evidence of his valor and worthiness, and the king pardons Musidorus. Act three. Mouse and a messenger deliver the news from Amadine and the king. It's not really from Amadine. That Musidorus is banished from the court. Amadine tells Musidorus it was actually Sagasto who procured his banishment. Musidorus and Amadine pledge, pledge their love to each other. They plan to meet each other in the woods in three hours, and Amadine will run away with Musidorus. Amadine goes to meet Musidorus in the woods, but Bremo, the wild man from earlier, happens upon her first and threatens to kill and eat her. At the moment he goes to strike her, he fails, has a change of heart when she sees how pitiful she is, and instead takes her to live in the woods with him as his woman. Musidorus is late, thinks he's being pursued, doesn't stay at the meeting spot. Sagasto and Mouse banter some more about ale, etc., being drunk, and then Sagasto sends Mouse off to look for Musidorus and Amadine, who he knows have run off together. In Act 4, back in Valencia, the king misses Musidorus. Anselmo spills the beans about where he's gone and why, and the king decides to take the court to Aragon. Musidorus disguises himself as a hermit. Mouse arrives and tells Musidorus he's seeking the runaway princess and the shepherd. Musidorus thinks Amadine has lost her way in the woods and goes to seek her out. Bremo tries to convince Amadine to love him. Musidorus arrives and Bremo challenges him to fight or die. Amadine intervenes and saves Musidorus's life and Musidorus agrees to enter service for Bremo and Amadine. Sagasto asks for an update from Mouse, who is useless because he's a clown. <laughs> Musidorus and Amadine trick Bremo into teaching them to fight. <laughs> he's just so good. And Musidorus kills Bremo, then reveals himself to Amadine because early modern facial blindness is a thing. Oh my goodness. They decide to live in Bremo's cave until the search for them dies down. No sooner have they decided this than they are discovered by Mouse and Sagasto. Sagasto tries to exercise his right over Amadine. She refuses and says she would 1000% rather be a shepherd's drudging wife than marry Sagasto. Musidorus reveals that he's a prince and they all happily head back to court to straighten everything out. Act 5! The really short act. Musidorus and Amadine return to court. Everyone is happy. Their marriage is approved. Valencia's court arrives and everyone seems, seems even more happy and they all leave to get married. Epilogue time. Comedy celebrates their victory over Envy. Envy's kind of salty about it and says they won't give up so easily, but they capitulate in the end and wish comedy everlasting peace. Aww. The I love end. this play. I love this play. <laughs> I love this play. What a goofy, goofy, goofy play. Yeah. It's, absurd. it's so good. So we're going to do a new feature now called A Taste of Text. In which we read a small but crucial scene from the play to give you a taste of its flavor. So for this play, we're looking at Act 4, Scene 5. Um and folks, don't make the mistake that we made in realizing belatedly that there are multiple online texts of Musidorus, and we were all trying to look at the, a different one. 
Um, yeah. Would you say, Finch, that uh, since you recently directed this, did you pull your source text from the Google books that we're looking at or did you did you pull it from somewhere else? I'm pretty sure I pulled it from this because this is there aren't very many critical editions of this play. Sure. Um, or I might have gotten it from Project Gutenberg because then you can get the HTML text, which is better for cutting. Mm. Um, I don't remember exactly. Yeah. But I, I like this one because the introduction is bonkers, which I'm going to talk about later. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what we're all working with now in case anybody is curious and wants to follow along at home. We're using the one that's on Google Books. It's a 1878 edition. Yeah. All right, so we're at, you said we're going to start roughly at line 109 at, right after Sagasto has entered. Who wants to read which parts here? I would love to be Mouse, but I would also like our guest to read whatever she wants. Uh, I'm happy to be uh, the fuck boy Sagasto. Okay. Yeah, you are. Great, great. Um, I I will be Amadine then. Um, and great. who's going to be Musidorus? Looks like. Oh yeah, he's in the scene. Yeah, a couple of lines for the chunk that we're reading, but not many. But anybody? Um, I mean, Aubrey, why don't you do a voice? Sure. <laughs> sure. Yep. Yes. That's that's my Let's favorite. Let's all do voices. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do. I'm going to do a little mouse voice for mouse. <laughs> little mouse voice. Oh, is that what Thanks. mice sound like? Little, oh. little mouse voice <laughs> for mouse. Fantastic. Um, can we get a little context for where we're at in the play with this for this scene that we're reading? Sure. So this is the uh, big confrontation. Sagasto has been hunting Musidorus and Amadine mm. for almost half the play now because they ran away mm -hmm. um and he's been dealing with mouse and so he's been having just like a rough time like if i was doing like a full direction of this like his clothes would be all torn he'd have sticks in his hair he's a <laughs> bad day uh, -huh. uh and they finally he finally finds them and this is like his first time confronting amadine since she dumped him in front of the entire court and nice. so it's pretty high stakes okay that's uh, pretty fun great and Amadine has also had a bad day like they all look like shit <laughs> in my version all right so take it away when you're ready Finch all right thou gadding housewife what cause hadst thou to gad abroad when as thou knowest our wedding day so nigh not so Sagasto no such thing in hand show your assurance then I'll answer you Thy father's promise, my assurance is. But what he promised, he hath not performed. It rests in thee for to perform the same. Not I. And why? So is my will, and therefore even so. Master, with a naughty naughty no. A wicked villain, art thou here? What needs these words? We weigh them not. We weigh them not. Proud shepherd, I scorn thy company. We'll not have a corner of thy company. I scorn not thee, nor yet the least of thine. That's a lie. I would have killed me with his pugsnado. <laughs> this stoutness, Amadine, contents me not. Then seek another that you may better please. Well, Amadine, it only rests in thee without delay to make thy choice of three. There stands Sagasto. Here a shepherd stands. There stands the third. Now make thy choice. A lord at the least am I. My choice is made, for I will none but thee. And a scene. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I like That's how he great. looks at Mouse and he's like, well, there's well, there's the third guy. <laughs> I left you be a little choice. Like, like he just wished he had house. been like, oh, wait, I want that guy. Yeah. Country clown. She's like, like, I didn't know he was an option. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that uh, that's my simple. Shakespeare's new contemporary play. No one steal it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I'll write it for Winter's Tale or something. Oh, they already did Winter's Tale. Never mind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. Um. All right. Yeah. Darlin Finch, you have some thoughts about this play. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> so take us, take us, take us into it. Yeah. We're okay. excited to it. hear about it. Yes. Great. I can't wait to hear all of this P.S. Yeah. Right. Um, okay, so I have like three things that I'm gonna talk about. First, I'm gonna talk about like my favorite narrative feature of the play. Um, and that is Amadine. 
Because as discussed, like all the characters are super stereotypical. You've got Musidorus, who is like the good prince. And you've got Sagasto, who is like the, the braggart and the jerk face. And you've got Mouse, who is the clown. Um, and then you've got this Amadine, who is like the princess. And she's totally a princess in distress. Like she enters in distress being chased by a bear, being ditched by her boyfriend. Um, but she's also like sassy and has agency and control um and so she's just got this like beautiful character arc and i think the right actor could just have could, she could easily steal the show which is not something i feel like i can say about a lot of shakespeare's a lot about early modern heroines um it's hard to steal the show with a um what's the one in much ado i've forgotten her name hero Hero, hero, oh. hero, right? Like hero can't steal the show. And nope. Amadine no. is totally a hero character, but she's got this like fire in her. Um, so the first scene, she's left languishing to die at the hands of the bear after her boyfriend ditched her, um, which is like a pretty sad opening um, for her. <laughs> yeah. But later, and it's the other scene I talk about a lot, there's that scene where her boyfriend has now conspired to get the guy who saved her killed because he's jealous at this point for no real reason. He's just got his pride hurt. And so Musidorus is being tried for murder and everyone's like, all right, well, he killed someone. He deserves to die. And Amadine enters the scene at that point. Like she hasn't been in the scene and then she enters and she has a bear's head <laughs> and she stops the whole court and interrupts her father proclaiming a death sentence. It is like, amazing that's pretty and baller like they argue with it's so baller and there's this amazing back and forth rhyme that she has with her father and with yeah. sebasto in front of yeah. the whole court it's like a rap battle <laughs> um and she is she's matching their rhetoric she's matching their rhythm it's incredible um and then she decides to run away with Musidorus because she's like, forget all this noise. And she goes to the meeting spot. She does not get lost. And she waits there like she's supposed to. And then Bremo comes. And like, I think she plays the maiden in distress. Like, she's like, oh, I can't fight you. I've never had to wield a sword. I'm so pitiful. <laughs> like, I don't think it's, I mean, there's genuine fear, of course, but I don't think she's genuinely helpless. I no. absolutely think it's a tactic, right? Because she just stood up to the entire court of, um, entire court of Aragon and her father and her fiance. So she's not a coward. So she seduces Bremo, basically, uh, very effectively, and gets him not to kill her. And then that scene we just read where she, she confronts Sagasto and just calls him out and she doesn't hide behind Musidorus or say, whichever one of you fights and wins, like I will trust, you know, the judgment of the sword or some, some ridiculous thing like that. But she like chooses on her own and Musidorus lets her, which I think is also a great thing for the, for the hero to do is to look at her and say, it's your, it's up to you. You have three options. So that's why Amadine is great. She's and so just, great. She's so great. Yeah, so, so great. <laughs> and I just, I don't feel that way about very many early modern romantic heroines who aren't like a, a Kate or a Beatrice mm -hmm. um, or a Rosalind, right? Like she, Amadine is stereotypically feminine and she's still so kick-ass. The next thing I'm going to talk about is why I like to say that Shakespeare wrote this play. Yes! <laughs> Lay it on me! Yes! Yes, yes, yes! I'm ready for it. I'm here. I'm ready. Let's fucking talk wow. authorship. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm we're a little more skeptical. Authorship. I'm a little more skeptical. You're gonna have to win me over. Just, okay. just play my dissertation. So, like, I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> yep. So, I'm, I'm probably not gonna convince you, Aubrey, because, like, the number one reason I like to insist or say that I think Shakespeare wrote this play is because it has pissed off scholars for centuries that this play has been attributed to Shakespeare. But when you read their arguments for why it couldn't possibly have been our perfect bard of Avon, like, their logic is so disgusting and gross mm. and barfy that it just makes me take the opposite standpoint oh um, sure okay you're you're poking the bear if you will I'm gonna talk through so from the introduction of the edition we're reading from it's it's just fantastically terrible 
Um, I'm going to talk through like a few of the quotes and a few of the other scholars. Um, so like textually, this edition's from 1878. And the 1800s is really when this play was like republished and refound. And there was all this discussion about is this Shakespeare? Is it not? It was talked about in England. It was talked about in Germany. Um, and, and so at the end of the century, when this one was published, it's kind of the introduction like brings in a bunch of scholars and I didn't take the time to research all of them, but that's the general picture of the scholarship discussion that this is talking about. And I don't, I couldn't find a more contemporary critical edition of this play. I'm sure there are like articles and things, but just looking for like a printed edition, uh-huh. I couldn't easily find one in my quick attempt to Google or Amazon or scholar search it. I feel like my Pete, my Pete. I feel like my friend Pete did one, <laughs> but I might be making that up. He's mm. got a book on these stores, doesn't he? Yeah. Get on it. Penguin it. Classics I read it. or I read it Arden for... Publishers. Like, what the fuck? Huh. Mermaid. Well, Somebody pick it up. They and do need it. to get their Google algorithm figured out because yeah. it didn't show up. All hmm. right. Hang on. I'm just going to, I'm going to look real fast. I might be making that up, but probably I'm well, making it up. I'm going to. Finch, you go talking, ahead. Yeah. Okay. Great. So, first of all, Scholars very begrudgingly, if they think that Shakespeare wrote any of the play, they think he wrote for one, which is possibly the most boring scene in the entire play. Uh, for one is the scene where we 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 jump back to Musidorus's dad, who is super sad now, and he gets Anselmo to tell him. And like, sure, the poetry is beautiful, but, but like narratively, it's confusing. Like, why are we going back to Musidorus's dad? It's not good. I mean. I don't think it's good narrative structure for a play. You don't need his dad to show up to resolve that. Um, and you certainly don't need a scene saying like he's sad and I was going to go find his dad. So it doesn't fit the structure of the play and also not very much happens. It does have some beautiful poetry, um, but it's just bizarre that like that is the only scene that's any good. So a lot of these quotes that I'm about to read to you address for one quote. All other portions of the drama, with the exception of 4-1, are clearly by an inferior hand and in a much humbler and comparatively barbarous style. Okay, listeners can't see Finch's face or her impression of these scholars right now, but like she's got an effeminate hand up with a limp wrist and a hoity-toity snoot on her face. And it's very amusing. <laughs> yeah, so that was uh, Collier. Uh, uh-huh. This is from scholar R. Simpson. The old play, Musidorus, is too bad to be Shakespeare's, who could hardly help showing a fiber of his golden vein in anything he scribbled. His golden vein? My goodness. Mm. Golden Vein is a great name for a band, P.S. Oh, okay. this, is, this is another R. Simpson. This is possibly my favorite one. <clears throat> it must be confessed that the use of the word sight has a Shakespearean twang. Literally, what the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> like the literal word like, sight? The Yeah, he, the <laughs> word sight, S-I-G-H-T, has a Shakespearean twang. A Shakespearean no. twang? Mm-hmm. No! Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. my goodness. Wow. Uh, this is from the intro. Shakespeare made use of rhyme in only two cases, as an effective termination at the end of the scene or as a conventional means to mark an aside. False. And because there's more rhyme in this play, it's obviously not Shakespeare's. Yeah, then and only then. Um, Does that mean Midsummer is also not Shakespeare's? Right. Or Romeo and Juliet. Right. Or Comedy of Errors. Or or all of them. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Another one from the intro. Professor Delius did not think Musidorus quite worthless. Mm. <laughs> what praise. Lovely light um, toadies there. That's great. All right. So this is by uh, F.G. Flay. Mm. If anyone wants citations on these, I can, I can give them to you. <clears throat> the theory of Shakespeare being the author of the worthless old play, Musidorus, was the result of the blunder of a stupid bookbinder. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Yay. Flay. <laughs> yep. Why? Yep. Um, and then my favorite one, and this is another one from the intro. Uh, <clears throat> there is one criterion which, in our opinion, is of sufficient moment to prove that our play was not written by Shakespeare. Alliteration is a figure of speech which Shakespeare never made use of. 
except once in Love's Labor's Lost. Oh, just once. Yeah, yes. just that one time. I guess I must have just been hearing things all the other times. Right. So like Richard III's, now are our brows bound with victorious wreaths, our bruised arms hung up for monuments, and our stern alarms changed to merry meetings, our dreadful marches to delightful measures. That's not Nothing Shakespeare, guys. Nope, about not, that. Uh, not alliterative at all. Nope. Romeo Lies. and Juliet from the fourth of fatal loins of these two foes. What? It's not Shakespeare. Nope. Shakespeare didn't write that. Nope. Um, Apparently not. Hamlet, here in the chair and comfort of our eye, our chiefest courtier, cousin, and son. Mm. Not Shakespeare. Some we imposter put in that alliteration. How rude. Yeah. yeah. Macbeth's I am cabined, cribbed, confined. <sighs> Nonsense. Not Shakespeare. Not that one either. I'm, I, this is this is groundbreaking scholarship because Shakespeare didn't write these lines from these plays. Um, and lastly, one from Lear. As of the unnaturalness between the child and the parent, death, dearth, dissolutions of ancient amities, divisions in state, menaces and maledictions against kings and nobles, needless diffidences, banishments of friends, dissipation of cohorts, nuptial breaches, and I know not what. These are great alliterations that you found. These are really good. Uh, um, (laughs) Nuptial breaches is the name of my band. (laughs) Good one. I love a good Um, pair of nuptial breaches. Scholars just their only argument for why it's not by Shakespeare is just like this idea that it just couldn't have been. And I know lack of evidence is not evidence, but you can't just say, I don't like this. It is worth noting that Musidorus was included in at least one of the folios, the third Mm -hmm. question Uh mark, maybe. Mm -hmm. And that it was widely marketed as a Shakespeare play through the English Civil War, at least. Yep. So, yeah. There was absolutely, before the 1700s, 1800s, all of this that I'm reading from happened, there was a, a belief, a mythos... Um, that it could have, would have, maybe, probably was by Shakespeare. Um, just the vitriol of these attacks of like it's barbarous, it's got poop jokes and drunk jokes, and yeah. the lovers just fall in love so easily. And um, yeah, because Shakespeare, Shakespeare could never do that. Never right. make a poop joke. He, never. Or have and, lovers you know, fall in love easily. That's not right. no. No, he 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 was born writing to be or not to be in heavy questions, and he didn't spend any time exploring light, cute pastoral romances. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's all oh, okay. nonsense. Yeah, I I see that. I see wanting to be contrary in the face of such flimsy arguments. That's for sure. I get that. Yeah, yeah. If there was a good, if there was a good argument for why it couldn't have been Shakespeare. And like they don't have a really good um, guess for who else it could have been if they were like this very clearly, you know, matches. Yeah. Da, da, da. Um, it's absurd. So you should read the intro if you just want a like mm-hmm. confused time. Um, some good bardolatry going on. It's mm-hmm. really fun. Yeah. And so if, it, if, if we were to entertain that it was Shakespeare, this would be very early career Shakespeare, right? It, Absolutely. This is like, It'd be the it earliest. first appeared like 1590, yeah. right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, super early. Yeah. yeah. Which would yeah. be cool and exciting. Yeah. I mean, Comedy of Errors isn't great. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, yeah. A lot of his early stuff is really bad. <laughs> so yeah. I, I love it. I love it dearly, but it's not. It's a right. it's a summer comedy. It's um hot tub time machine. <laughs> <laughs> it's my Christmas prince, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um yep. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. All right. The last thing I wanted to touch on, um, and I just found this perchance. Yeah. Um yes, I know it's is a little bit of his hyster- historical anecdote about yeah. the play. Um, and so as we've been talking about, this play was performed all the way through the 1600s, through the Restoration. Um, and it's kind of a little bit famous because in 1653, on February 3rd, it's coming up, the anniversary of this, Mm. regarding all the stupid date stuff, um, there, there was a performance at Whitney, outside of London, um, and... 
there was a tragedy at this performance. So they, there was a troupe, and I'm not even sure they were professional actors based off of what I read. They were just people who were like, this is a fun play, which also is fun to me because if you look at the early editions of this play, it has a casting breakdown. So this was a play that was like people performed just for shits and giggles, nice. which I love. Um, anyway, so non-professional group is like touring the show to like their friends in the nearby villages and hamlets and what have you. Um, and so they bring it to this town and they end up performing at an inn and they pack in 300 people into this inn. And during the last third of the play, the floor collapses <gasps> oh, no. under the weight of the people. Yeah, and sure like, does. Children die. Hundreds of people are injured. Oh my God. And it's this, yeah, no, it is a legitimate disaster. Um, and so what I have here showing them um, is... Tragic comedy, being a brief relation of the strange and wonderful hand of God discovered at Whitney in the comedy acted there February the 3rd, where there were some slain, many hurt, with several other remarkable passages, together with what was preached in three sermons on that occasion, both which may serve as some check to the growing atheism in the present age. Oh my God. <laughs> um, so, reactions. I mean, so I, this, this bit the yeah. this little story that you've told is going to end up in the next chapter of my diff um for reasons that's not important but that the pamphlet sermon thing that you just can you send me the citation for that of course thank you i would love to thank you that would um, be fucking useful so this guy john Rowe, he must be a local clergy person but he printed this Bonds after this massive tragedy talking about how it was the hand of God because the theater was evil because right, this was yeah. before the restoration. Punished. It was 1653. Wow. Um, and the so playhouses were closed, P.S. Mm -hmm. Like, playing was illegal at this point. Wow. Yep. And so it's, a fascinating, it's a fascinating little narrative that this guy's written up, and it's actually very readable um, if you're used to just changing F's for S's and what that, not nonsense. And there are just a few things that are I just find really interesting. So they'd been rehearsing it since Michaelmas, and they'd been performing it since Christmas. And, like, they can't travel that far in February across England. So, like, it's still widely popular. That's a really long rehearsal period. Isn't Michaelmas mm -hmm. in September? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They've been learning it ever since Michaelmas. And really have been acting long. it privately every week. Really so that, long rehearsal period. Yeah. Amateur yeah. little group is doing this for has been doing it for months. Right, um, so they probably have day jobs doing other stuff, yeah. and like it's classic community theater. <laughs> yeah, long. Um, and so they came to Whitney. They found a performance space, and then at seven o'clock at night, they caused a drum to beat and a trumpet to be sounded to gather the people together. Which just surprised me that they were doing the show so late, even though it was indoors. And I don't know if you all have more historical knowledge about the timing of indoor oh. theater, but a show that doesn't start gathering people until seven and starting until eight, like that is just a yeah. late, like I don't even go out of the house for theater that starts <laughs> after eight. Like, like that's what are these cutoff. early modern people doing? Yeah. Yeah. I Leaving mean, in their warm hearts. It's the beginning of the, the transition, uh, the theater transition to being like a a whole fucking evening, right? Like in the 19th mm -hmm. century, play started yeah. at you know, half seven and went until fucking midnight because, right. wow. you know, and this, I, this I think is just the beginning of that tradition. Which is fascinating. Yeah. Um, and so that surprised me as well. Other things that caught my eye. Um, so he makes a big deal about, he quotes some lines that I couldn't find in our, the edition I was looking at. And as we talked about, there are lots of different quartos that were published throughout. So it's possible it's in a quarto um, that I wasn't looking at or that wasn't consulted for the edition. Um, or it's possible that they were paraphrasing or so that was just an odd thing. He, he makes a comment that plays were the they, the actors, were ordinarily three hours in acting it, which is much this longer. So short. <laughs> yeah. it, it's a very short play. And it's much longer than Romeo and Juliet's or, uh, yeah, Romeo and two, two hours traffic, right? Yeah. And so that just 
which gets a lot of, we talked about that a lot in my grad school about, you know, speaking quickly, picking up cues, having energy. Yeah. And here it's Musidorus, which is a very short play, is being billed as three hours. Wow. Um, which just surprised me. Maybe there was a um, whole like bear dumb show. Like maybe <laughs> there was an actual dancing bear brought in or something. I don't know. Maybe. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like some kind of side carnival. You know? Speaking of the bear. Uh-huh. Um, yes. Which is great. So the this guy, John, he makes a big deal about in the prologue, they talk about like Envy talks about turning your comedy to tragedy which is just like what happened to this play so envy won this production you could say Mm. um but then he also talks about so i'm just gonna read this because i'm gonna have a hard time sussing it out because the syntax is wild um so quote this is after the floor has broken in various reports there have been concerning the words spoken at the time as it should be said the devil was now come to act his part Some of the people might say so, observing the wild man's carriage and some other passages that went before, where there was mention made of the devil in a bear's doublet, and the wild man then was acting the bear's part. Huh. So, because the floor crashed when Bremo was on stage, and Mouse has a line about a devil in a bear's doublet, and the bear was played by Bremo the wild man... Like, it's just, like, a fascinating little circle and connection and, like, awareness of actor bodies playing parts. Um, and I just like that he called out that Bremo the Wild Man played the bear, which is the double casting that I would totally use. Um, yeah. Because that's just what makes sense. Yeah. So That's kind of great. It's a fascinating little historical event. And there's he talks about Bremo, the actor saving the actor playing Amadine, and there's like heroics and tragedy and kids oh die and arms are broken. Just a yeah. Wow. What a weird So that's thing. a little his, historical nugget and we're coming up on the anniversary, so I thought it was worth mentioning. Yeah. I love it. What a weird I love little anecdote. It. Oh my gosh. And for what it's worth, the scholars who were talking about they mentioned this thing briefly but they got the year wrong by a decade and i don't know why that was just do you have it as 1653 or 1663 you know you have no idea i mean you are asking me to like look at my notes well then don't i just didn't know if you had it no no uh, gut instinct i i don't know i i think i would have pegged it in the 1660s but i haven't really i haven't started working on this chapter yet so it's It yeah. might be 63. It might be 53. I don't I don't know why this the intro scholars put it in the 60s when the the pamphlet is da- dated in the 50s. Hmm. All right. Well, shall yeah. we play a game? All right. It's game time. So when when we have a guest, this is what we like to do is we like to play line roulette with them. Uh, if you're a regular listener, you know this game. You love this game. This is the game where. Um, I figure out where my cat has hidden my dice and then I find them uh, and I roll the dice and we come up with a with a line number and then our darling wonderful guest gets one minute to say why that line encapsulates the entire play. So um, Sweet. see. Oh, here they are. Where Becky did Miss Becky hide the dice? <laughs> she's, not, she's not gotten them yet. There. Oh, okay. All right. So darling wonderful Finch, we are looking for act five. Oh, it's so short. Uh, scene 10. That's not a thing. <laughs> nope. We'll go with scene two. Act five, scene two. Uh, line 62, if we have a line 62. Nope. Great, okay. Oh, wait, How yes, many we, lines? Do. we okay. do. We do, we do, we right. do. Okay, what is Act the line? Five. Scene two. Line All 62. Right. The line... My power has lost her might and Envy's date expired. Ooh. Amazing. Oh, amazing. What a good line. Yeah. Nice. Do you need Do a I moment have to, to justify it? <laughs> yes. Because yeah. that's the game. But feels do you, self-explanatory. Do you need a moment yeah. to collect your thoughts or are you ready to go? just go how long do i have do 60 I have, seconds like, minute? One, minute. one minute and i'm gonna i'm gonna hold the timer up for you to see when you're getting close so whenever you're ready you just start talking 
The Comedy of Musidorus is a play all about like perception and um, presentation. You have your title character, Musidorus, who disguises himself not only as a shepherd, but then further as a hermit. You have a princess who runs away. You have Sagasto, who um, hires a murderer because he feels like his public image is being slandered by the shepherd who killed the bear. Um, and so at the end of the play, Envy comes out and he says, my power has lost her might and Envy's date expired. And Envy is all about perception and presentation. And while it might be about like jealousy or misery, some might think because it's paired against comedy, I think it's really about being obsessed with how you look. And so by releasing that, uh, the characters are able to to reunite. Sagasto can let go of Amadine, and everyone can go be married and celebrate, and not have to worry about um, what they're looking like or what others are thinking of them anymore. Ding ding ding! Look, you've got time to spare. Nicely done. Well done. Good job. Well Thanks. done. That's my favorite game. I love that game so it's much. It's a good game. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on to some corrections. Uh, we say oh, a lot. Of, yeah. yeah. Well, we say a lot yeah. of things on this podcast, and sometimes we, I, misspeak or misinterpret information, or just plain get things wrong. So it only seems right to issue corrections as necessary. And uh, just last week, when we played our game and made a playlist for the Devil's Charter, I attributed "Devil with a Blue Dress" to Elvis instead of Mitch Ryder. Sorry, Mitch. Um, and also, both of us kept saying devil in a blue dress instead of devil with a blue dress. And devil in a blue dress apparently is a movie. So, whoops. Um, I'm pretty sure I got other things wrong with that music stuff. So, like, don't at me. I know I got shit wrong. But that's my correction. I felt like it was important that Mitch Ryder get his due. So, that's that. Moving on. All right. Well, so uh, some gossip. Hey, Finch, what are you working on these days? Yeah. What you doing? What projects coming up on for you? Uh, what are you What are you directing with the kiddos at Montessori? Anything? So we're. I'm actually not directing a full production. I'm, uh, so I'm working with the younger kids now, the third through fifth graders, and we're doing commedia focused work. Oh my um, god! Fun. Yeah. So, fun. so stepping away from scripts just because, like, that sort of reading comprehension is not. It's not my job to teach um, yeah, as their yeah. drama teacher. So they've they've made commedia masks and they've created characters, whether they're zanies or 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 um, one of the master characters. Oh, how fun! Uh, and working on physicality, and we're gonna we're gonna do some work to create little skits and things with them. So, not quite Shakespeare, but still cool. Yeah, yeah love to hear still it. Still really fun. Well, I don't have any gossip. I mean, I have real gossip. Like, I've heard casting stuff, but I'm not allowed to talk about it. So, <laughs> like, I don't have any harmless gossip that won't get me fired, unfortunately. I don't know my own name. I can't. Yeah. I can't think if I'm plugged into anything that's happening right now. Anybody think of upcoming productions we want to shout out? I mean, not of Musidorus. Uh, no, God, I wish there were of Musidorus. That'd <laughs> you know, be great. I, do, I mean, this is this is not. I do want to. I want to shout this out. So, uh, if you if you are looking for an easy read on Musidorus, there is a book titled uh, "The Elizabethan Top Ten: Colon Defining Print Popularity in Early Modern England." Uh, edited by friend of the pod and future guest when his life is better, uh, Andy Kesson and Emma Smith, who literally wrote the book on Shakespeare's first folio. Um, and in that uh, in that book, uh, my friend type person, Peter Kerwan, who is at the University of Nottingham in the UK, uh, has a, a very short essay on Musidorus. It's 10 pages long um, and it's great. And you could read it if you wanted to learn a couple things about the play and why why it was so popular then and why it should be popular now. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if we don't have any more items to gossip about, then I guess we're done. Um, so. Oh, wait, 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 oh, wait, oh, oh, wait. Oh, oh, oh. This is the thing. Um, if if any of our listeners are members of the Shakespeare Association of America, if you were an SAA member, uh-huh. vote. Vote for, for, for uh, new leadership. Vote for trustees. Vote for our new president. Vote for the voting is open. It's open. Oh. You got several emails about it. Vote, vote, log in and vote. Yeah. And if you're not a member of SAA, then this doesn't matter to you and you can <laughs> ignore my passioned 
likely to vote. Vote just early vote. and often, folks. Yeah, just vote. Oh, speaking of voting, <laughs> sorry, um, my theater camp that I help run, American Shakespeare Center oh, Theater yeah. Camp, uh, w- has been nominated for one of Virginia's best, you know, in the in the state of Virginia's best whatever, best summer camp. So, like, get out there and vote for us for best summer camp because you know we fucking are the best summer camp in Virginia. And the, and the world. But and but just Virginia. We'll keep it small. But, like, yeah, get out there and vote. I think that's the message. That's the, the moral to take away from our gossip segment today. Okay, so let me try that again. Thank you so much Sorry. for listening. It's okay. Uh, we hope you leave this podcast more informed than when you started. And thanks again so much to our darling Finch for joining Yay. us. We're thrilled to have you. We love you. Thank you for coming on. Yes. Um, if you are interested in keeping up with her in the wider world, you can find her on the Twitters at Finchymonger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I, I suppose you, I could spell that for yeah. you, but it's it's pretty it's pretty much what it sounds like. Um, and then I guess also if you like like us or whatever, and you want to hear what we're doing next week, uh, it's Twelfth Night three hundred one. So come on back next yeah. week for Twelfth Night. Sounds great. Hi, I'll come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yay. Oh, yeah. we never said the full name of this play. Oh, yeah. Say the full name of this play. It's got a ridiculous... Oh, do I have it written down anywhere? But yes, it's in. It's right here. <clears throat> All right. The full name of this play. Uh-huh. Uh, you just reminded me of it because you talked about how popular it was. A most pleasant comedy of Musadoros, the king's son of Valencia, and Amadine, the king's daughter of Aragon, with the merry conceits of Mouse newly set forth, as it hath been sundry times played in the honorable city of London, very delectable and full of mirth. Yeah. I love it. I love early modern titles. (laughs) Very delectable. Very delectable. (laughs) And full of mirth. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna comment that as my review of y'all's podcast. <laughs> Please do, and thank you. All right, Whamlet out. Whamlet out. If you enjoyed our podcast, please tell your friends, rate us, leave us a review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For show notes and other fun stuff, visit our website at www.hurlyburlyshakespeareshow.com. Get in touch with us. Tell us what you're working on and thinking about. You can email us at holla at hurlyburlyshakespeareshow.com. You can also find us at hurlyburlyshakes on Instagram. Or hurlyburlyshake on Twitter. Hurley Burley Shakespeare Show is produced and edited by Aubrey Whitlock and Jess Hamlet. All opinions you heard are strictly our own and not affiliated with the institutions we represent. Yeah. It's like what everyone does in midsummer. The camera don't lie. Oh my god. Something, something, something. Howie Day wrote that song. You're welcome. Okay. <laughs> Thank the you. Hamlet song break for mm-hmm. topical pop culture references that Good are job. 20 years old at this point. <laughs> <laughs>